This is a sermon from the Highlands Congregation of Park Church. We hope it helps you walk with the Lord and lead others to Christ. Learn more and find more resources at parkchurch.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be one in the pew back in front of you. You'll find today's reading on page 947. If you don't own a Bible, please stop by the information table after the service. We'd like to give you one as a gift from Park Church. Again, we're reading from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Deanna. Good morning, Park Church. It's good to see you all again. It's, uh, thank, hey, it's good to see you too. Um, if you don't know, uh, my family has been out for a three-month sabbatical, uh, and just want to say thank you. I just start by saying thank you uh, to this church family, to our leadership team, our elders. Um, it was an incredible gift uh, for us, an indescribable gift. I'm just looking at my family and just, it was a gift. Um, that we're so thankful for. Uh, there was rest, there was fun, there was adventure, so many things that were just restorative and healing for our own souls and for our family as a whole. Um, and it's something that we don't take for granted or take lightly that this church would choose to, to give uh, that kind of a gift. We think it's a healthy thing we want to do for all of our pastors and have done it for other pastors um, in the past and we will continue to do it for others on our pastoral team and staff team. Uh, but for us, we just want to say thank you. Uh, that that space to kind of process and slow down and reconnect with Jesus was a really, a really beautiful thing for all of us. And so we're really, really grateful. Grateful to the church family, the culture that's here. Grateful for our staff team and the other pastors that really just picked up slack for things that I do. Uh, just kind of different people carrying weight. Um, and I just want to express our gratitude. That was a really a beautiful gift for us and something that we will remember forever. And so I want to say thanks for that. Uh, one of the things that having some space from the sort of day-to-day -day kind of operations of a, of a church community, kind of some space from the pastoral burdens and leadership burdens that are just real and, and so many different kind of vocations and jobs, is you have some time to get perspective. And you just get some perspective. You kind of get out of the trees of kind of the things that are right up next, the next thing that needs to happen, the kind of next decision that needs to be made, that, that kind of issue we got to kind of walk through, that person that needs care, and you just get a little space to step back and kind of remember as you look at the forest, and, and even for me, looking at the forest of my life and our church, and just think, what are we doing here? You get to kind of like resituate and reorient on what matters, and a huge piece of this summer for me was just recentering, reorienting, what are we doing? What are we doing here? Every fall, we take time to kind of recenter as a whole church on our mission as a church. Uh, what we're doing, why we're doing it, why we do the things that we do, why we do them the way we do them, what we're praying for that God would do in us and among us and, and through us. And so that's what we're entering into right now as we're entering into a three-week series 
We're going to look at the mission of God and in particular how he's called us to follow Jesus together. To follow Jesus together. And we're going to look at that today focusing in particular on this idea of worship. And worship at its essence is this idea of orienting our life, organizing our life around a love for Jesus and his kingdom. Like the real day-to-day stuff of life. And in order to, to do that, I've been praying this week and actually just throughout sabbatical, just knowing that this series was coming, just throughout time, just different things would come into my mind, just thinking about just what's happening in the world and the significance of being a people that are devoted to Jesus, that are actually steering our lives toward his presence, that are actually, again, organizing our day-to-day lives, the way we think about our mornings and our evenings, the way we think about our relationships and that tension we experience at work, the way we think about our vocation and our neighborhood and our roommates and our marriages and our children and our sexuality and our money and our gifts and our strengths and our weaknesses, how we think about all of it through this lens of worship, through the lens of worship. And so that's what we're going to do this morning, but my my sense has been that God wants to do significant things in us in this, in this series, to actually kind of renew us, to restore us, to remind us what we're doing here and why it matters. That I think that there are trajectories, and I know this has been the case in my own life, even looking this week at this passage, there are trajectories in our lives that need to change. There are practices and rhythms of life and values that need to be reconsidered. And over all of it, there's a God who is inviting us, who's calling us to know his love and to pursue him together as a family, as a church family. And so we're going to pray that a spirit would help us this morning. So would you join me as we kind of calm our hearts, still our hearts before the God who is with us. And let's pray together. And Jesus, you are here. And you are worthy of our worship. And you've pursued us. You've shown us mercy. And so we want to say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for your grace towards us. Thank you for your mercies that are new every single morning. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for wisdom. Thank you for strength. Thank you for your word. Thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for the men and women who have gone before us. And thank you for the working of your spirit now among us, not just in our church, but in the churches that hold fast to your truth and your gospel all around this world. Thank you. I thank you for your love. And I pray that today, because of your love and because of the presence of your Holy Spirit, you would actually awaken us, that you would renew our minds around this beautiful image of your mercy and your kingdom, and that you would reorient our lives towards you, and that we would find joy in it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Over sabbatical, one of the things we were kind of like waiting for eagerly was the return of Ted Lasso. Any Ted Lasso people? Uh, So here's the deal about Ted Lasso. One, it pulls together like good old Kansas kindness, and I'm a Kansas guy, so just the Kansas kindness, you love it. Pulls together dad jokes, which also, I'm a sucker for good dad jokes, much to the chagrin of staff and family. Um, Also, biting British humor and soccer and like deep emotional journeys from surprising characters. I mean, it pulls it all together. So it's beautiful. Highly recommended. Not going to talk about Ted Lasso anymore. While we're waiting for the next episodes of Ted Lasso to come up, you're kind of like, you think it's going to be released as a series. It's not, so you're waiting. There's this show called Mr. Corman. Mr. Corman. It's uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt does this show and it's super depressing, not worth watching, uh, a real bummer, a real bummer to kind of like spend your time on. But in waiting for Ted Lasso, watch Mr. Corman, and it stings. 
It bothered me. Uh, the show bothered me, not because there was like something grotesque or, or bad or something like that, but just because it's too real. It's too real. The story is of this man played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt who, Mr. Corman, who was an aspiring musician, tried to have a kind of a musical career, uh, but kind of had hung up his hat on the musical career and became a fifth grade teacher. He knew being a fifth grade teacher was good. He saw it as valuable, nothing against it. But as he lived his life and was kind of going through the day-to-day life, he just found himself incredibly bored, like he had lost a sense of meaning. He just sort of get up, He had a place to stay. He has a roommate. He has a good job. He'd go to work and he'd do his job and he'd think, I should be happy. I should feel like I'm a lucky guy. I should feel like I've got a good life. But he just felt depressed. He felt aimless. He felt lost. And so he'd go home and watch TV or play video games or hang out with his roommate. And they just started getting nagged by this sense of purposelessness. Depression and anxiety comes in, and I think the series is going to be, you know, it's only a few episodes have been released, him just working through that. And, and the reason why it's so stinging is because I think to some degree or another, this is very true for so many of us. He's not like this super compelling character. He's kind of self-centered in some ways. It's just like a guy that's bored with a decent life and just lost. And it stings. Uh, For all of us, uh, as human beings, we were designed by God to be driven, to be driven by a desire, driven by a love, driven by a passion. Uh, Philosophers talk about this, that, that we kind of have this intentionality or this kind of like orientation as human beings, that we're not just like driven by cause and effect, they call it the principle of causality, but we're driven by this pr- principle of intentionality, which is you're, you're after something. You have this direction as a human being. You are made to want something, to desire something, to love something, and to pursue it with your life. And so when it feels like you've kind of like lost meaning, lost purpose, lost a sense of direction in your life, the sort of depression and anxiety that this character in the show feels and that so many of us struggle with in different times, in different ways, in different seasons is real. It's real that we have a tendency to lose our sense of meaning. And what the Bible is so clear about is not that God's calling us to suppress our desire, but he's actually created us as human beings to actually have a passion for him, for his kingdom, for his purposes, for his presence in the world. And when we do, there's a kind of organizing center to our lives that stabilizes all of the other things. It stabilizes vocation. It stabilizes relationships. It stabilizes sexuality and hobbies and friendship and family. It stabilizes it when God is at the center, when he is the centerpiece of our worship. But we're all driven. We're all kind of aching for something to give our lives for. And so the question that I want us to kind of ask today, and I want us to consider not just like what you might think about it, but in the reality of your life, what is it that you worship? What is at the organizing center of your life? What is it that sort of orients the rest of your life that gives you the sense of meaning, drive, passion, desire? Is there anything at the center? Have you lost anything? Or or is it something maybe that isn't God, is something else. And the reality is, often we don't worship what we think we worship. Like we say, I I worship Jesus. I'm here on a Sunday at a worship service. This is what we're doing. We just sang a song about worshiping Jesus. I think it's more significant to look at the day-to-day fabric of your life. Look at the day-to-day fabric of your life and think, what is my life aimed at? What are my thoughts drifting towards? What are my habits, my rituals? The kind of like Christian-y word we use here is liturgies, the rhythms of your life. What are they kind of moving you towards? And as you look at those things, I know for a fact, because this is just humanity, 
that there are areas where our hearts are drifting from God and we're kind of wandering away from him as the organizing center. And when that happens, we feel lost. We, f- we feel purposelessness. We feel empty. And all of us are wrestling with that. And my prayer for this series and for this moment, even today, is that God would reveal to us the ways we've, we've wandered from him at the center and the ways we're chasing after different things, distractions and other things that can never give us the life we long for. And that because of his mercy, we would return again to him, not just to kind of forgiveness, not just to like singing songs, but to a life that is devoted, passionately pursuing Christ and his kingdom and his purposes in the day-to-day stuff of life, in the waking up in the morning, in the afternoons, in your vocation with your kids and your family and your roommates and your education, that we would be chasing after God, enjoying him, walking with him in the day-to-day of life. And that's really what this passage in Romans 12 is all about. In Romans 12, uh, Paul is turning the corner in really like the most beautiful and I think spectacular letter ever written. Uh, he's turning the corner from unpacking something beautiful about what God has done for us in Jesus. And he's going to kind of give us the, so what should that mean? Like how should we then live? How should that impact and shape and reorient and redirect our day-to-day lives? And what Paul's going to argue really is that it ought to kind of reorient our lives, that all of our lives are given in devoted worship to Jesus. All of it. And that doesn't just mean singing songs. It doesn't just mean attending a service. Those things have their meaning and their power. But it means all of life getting wrapped up in our bodily existence, in the day-to-day existence of life, saying, God, I'm I'm here for you. I want to walk with you. I want to know you. I want to live according to your design for my life. I want to operate in this world according to who you've called me to be as a human being, an image bearer of God. And when we regain that sense of clarity, when we regain Jesus as the sort of like organizing center of our life, the sense of meaning and joy and purpose and peace and security that we all long for, begins to find its proper place in our life. And so what I want to do is just walk through the passage. Every word here is like so meaningful. It's, uh, it's kind of loaded, pregnant with meaning, uh, every aspect of this passage. And so uh, we're not going to be able to see everything in the passage, but I want you to see what Paul's doing here uh, and what that means for our lives. And so look with me at the very beginning of the passage, Romans 12, verse 1. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. Uh, Paul is starting with uh, not a command, but a plea. Uh, It's an exhortation. It's like a kind of apostolic or a pastoral plea begging this church, this community of believers, saying, I have just unpacked for you the mercies of God, his kindness, his love, his sacrificial grace, his atoning work, his power, his justice, his glory, his sovereign grace over you. I have explained to you the beauty and the glory of the God who made you. And so I'm appealing to you. I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you not to let these truths kind of wash over you and and move beyond you, but to organize your life accordingly, to let these realities redirect, reshape, reorient every aspect of your being. Every aspect. He's pleading with us. Pleading with us to offer our lives in worship. But what I want us to see is the reason why, the basis. The little word therefore is, uh, you know, if you've been around here or pay attention to literature at all, therefore is always connecting what's happening now or what's being talked about now to what has just been kind of Unpacked, And in this passage, what Paul's saying is, in the light of everything I've said in Romans 1 through 11, 
I'm begging you. I'm begging you to slow down, pay attention. Let these truths like marinate in your heart. Let them reshape your life. And the way he summarizes all of chapters 1 through 11 is with this phrase, the mercies of God. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God. And in this book, he's unpacking what God has done for us through Jesus, not just to forgive us of our sin, not just like I messed up, but God's giving me mercy and forgiveness. The mercy of God is way bigger. It includes all that God is doing in the world to restore humanity and the world itself to himself, to his kingdom purposes, to his glory in the world. That as human beings, we were designed, designed to walk with God, to enjoy his love, to find security with him. We were designed to trust him and trust his reign over us, trust his wisdom for us, trust his word and his instructions for life. We were designed to feel acceptance from him. We were designed to find pleasure with him. We were designed to to enjoy the good gifts of creation from all the gifts of culture, from food and drink and friendship and family and sexuality and life and work and, and restaurants and mountains and to enjoy all of it with a thankfulness to the creator. We were designed for that. And we were designed to use our lives, our vocations, our callings, not to kind of make money to protect ourselves or kind of like establish some sense of influence that feels good or to kind of prove to somebody that you're worth something. But we are designed to use the gifts God's given us to actually reflect his glory and care for other human beings, to do good in the world in whatever the vocation God's called you to. It's a beautiful calling. And all of this is wrapped up in this idea of this is God's kingdom. It's a place of human flourishing. And there is a grasping in our heart, there's a yearning in our heart to experience the glories of that kingdom. And so as human beings, from the beginning, instead of enjoying what God has given us in this kingdom, we kind of turn from a worship of God, and we turn to try to find our own way to experience that flourishing life. Instead of trusting his wisdom, trusting his word, we turn from him. So in the words of the prophet Jeremiah, it says, we turn from the fountain of living water, we forsook the fountain of living water, and we came over here and started trying to make, hew out out of rock, these cisterns, these rock, clay, broken cisterns that just hold tepid water and can never satisfy our soul. And so this is the plight of humanity, that we turn from this fountain of life that God has given us to find meaning and purpose with him in his ways, in his purposes. And we came over here and we're spinning our wheels, taking all the good gifts of God, but asking them to give us something that they were never designed to give us. Asking marriage to give us what marriage could never give you. Asking family, asking job, asking sex, asking recreation, asking vacations, asking friendships, asking house, asking whatever it is to give us something, some sense of satisfaction. And so we took that sort of design of God that's after something, and instead of after God and enjoying the fountain of living water and letting it revive us and give us joy, we chased after other things. Chased after other things. And Paul talks about this in Romans 1, 2, and 3 that we all turn from God, we've all sinned, we've missed the mark, we went a different direction and we fell away from God's glory. And the beauty of what Romans kind of unpacks for us is that God didn't just say like, well, have fun experiencing pain, death, and destruction, you know, like good riddance. No, he chases us down with his mercy. The mercy word here, just compassion, love, affection. 
Like as Christians, like we start with a sense God made us and he loves us. We turn from him, but because of his love for us, like a good father, he runs after us in the person of Jesus. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to pursue us, not merely to forgive us, not merely to kind of like forgive our sins and give us a ticket to heaven, but to actually wash us, cleanse us, and restore us to the presence of God. To actually be humans the way human beings were created to be, which is to enjoy God's love, to walk in his presence, to go to your job with a sense of sacrificial love for the world, to serve humanity, to love your spouse and love your kids. And when you mess up, be stunned in awe that God is gracious and forgiving and kind and return to him again and let his spirit change you little by little to be exactly who you're designed to be. And so you go teach the fifth grade class and you do it with a love for these kids. And when they're frustrating as all get out and you mess up, you ask God for forgiveness, you ask the kids for forgiveness or whatever you need to do and you remember his love for you and you grow as a lover of these children and an educator because it's a good thing to educate children. But it's not your life. It's not your life. Your family's not your life. Your job's not your life. Your income's not your life. Your possessions aren't your life. Your body is not your life. Your intellect is not your life. Those things can never give it. God can give you life. And then he puts those things in their proper place. And it's a beautiful gift. And Romans is about what God has done through his mercy to restore us to the life we were made for. To restore us by mercy. How Christ has justified us by his grace as a gift how the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us, atoning for our sin, giving us forgiveness and cleansing so we can be reconciled to God, about how his spirit was poured out on us as a kind of demonstration of the Father's love, that he loved us even while we were still sinners, and about how all of that is by his sovereign mercy and grace, not because of our family, not because of good works we did, not because of great decisions we made, not because of anything from our past or our present or our future, just his sheer sovereign grace. And so Paul says, he loves you. He's chased you down. He laid down his life for you. He sacrificed for you. He forgave you. He reconciled. He brought you into his kingdom. And so, in view of all of that mercy, in view of all of that love, in view of all of that glory and beauty, don't keep running the way that the world runs. Don't keep turning from the fountain again and again and again and kind of organizing your life to chase the good life apart from the presence of God, it's time to renew your mind. It's time to return and it's time to offer our lives in devoted worship to the God who made us. And that's what he says here in the passage. In view of God's mercy, I'm appealing to you, brothers and sisters, family, I'm appealing to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So I want to talk about not just the why of worship, but the, the what of worship. In this passage, the worship isn't just like uh, really love him in your head or really love him in your private life or really kind of like treasure Jesus or go, or go to a service. He actually talks about the, the kind of definition of worship is the organizing of all of our lives around the presence of Jesus, around a love for Jesus and his, and his presence. And what he says in this passage is to present your bodies. It's an interesting word. Present your bodies, not just your minds. He's going to talk about the renewal of your mind, but to present your body, your life, like the whole of your person, 
Like so many people have talked about this, that there's a, uh, there's a philosopher named Charles Taylor who talks about the excarnation of Christianity, that for the past couple hundred years, Christianity, people have been slowly kind of excarnating Christianity. In other words, we have this doctrine of incarnation where Christ, the, the Son of God, took on flesh and dwelt among us. He became a body, a, a man who lived and ate and, and drank and walked and had pain and suffered and, and healed and, and engaged in real day-to-day life and mornings and afternoons and evenings and sleep and all of it. He took on flesh. And we have this tendency in kind of especially kind of Western Protestantism to excarnate the gospel. Like it's just about our minds, our mental beliefs, and then someday like going to heaven when we die or something like that. And, and that the, the problem with that, there are lots of problems with that, but it's one, it's dividing the human person as if your body didn't matter, as if you were just a mind on a stick, you know, like a, a walking brain. But it also just doesn't understand how we are designed as human beings to be shaped, to be formed. Your body, and I'm not just saying your physical body, but your life, your rituals, your practices, your relationships, how you approach breakfast, how you wake up in the morning, how you think about work, how you engage with friendship, how you handle conflict, how you think about marriage, how you think about your sexuality, how you think about your evenings, how you think about your free time, how you think about your neighborhood. Like your embodied existence matters. And so when we come on a Sunday and we get ideas in our head, like, I want to love Jesus again, but we go back into the world and we live our embodied existence the same way that the kind of courses and the rituals and the rhythms and the practices of this world live, it's this sort of self-defeating experience. Like, I come here and I have this idea, I should do this, but I walk back into these practices, these liturgies in the world that are aimed at different values, that are aimed at seeking joy in your income or in financial security, that are aimed at finding joy in distraction, detachment, numbing, aimed at finding joy in substance abuses of different kinds, aimed at finding joy in relationships, aimed at finding joy in sexual endeavors, aimed at whatever, and we kind of keep operating in these ways. And what Paul is saying is if you want to respond to God's mercy, which isn't just forgiving you, it's actually reconciling you to a different way of life, you have to actually turn from the course of this world. Don't be conformed to this age, this world. But you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, to be caught up in a different vision, not just for kind of heaven, not just for relationship with God, but for living, for working, for eating, for drinking, for playing rec soccer, for going to a friend's house, for watching a movie, for going out and getting dinner, for climbing and hiking in the mountains. Like to have a renewed mind about what these things are for and why they're here. Not to forsake them, but to renew your mind about where these fit in God's vision for the world. And so it actually requires a reorganizing of your life. And so what Paul says is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And so this language is worship language that's coming from kind of old rituals. And so when you think about like um, pagan religions from the past, and there are still pagan religions today, but even kind of Old Testament Christianity, there were rituals and rhythms that helped the people of God organize their lives around the presence of God. So there were sacrificial systems and animals that were offered and prayers that were made and ways that we'd gather together and ways that people would ascend the stairs and ways that they would kind of camp around the altar and, and just like the presence of God shaped everything in their society and there was instructions on that and they were supposed to live according to that as an act of worship. They're organizing every aspect of their life around the, the presence of God. In other religions, they would do similar things. They'd do sacrifices. 
they would do uh, rituals. They would do a lot of the same things that the Israelites in the Old Testament would do. But in those cases, throughout most of history, what, what people would do is organize their life uh, around the presence of God that they hoped would potentially give them something they longed for. So if you want a good family, you can worship a God of fertility or a God of love. If you want protection from your enemies, you can worship a God of war. If you want kind of provision in your crops, you can worship a God that's going to help bring rain and abundance to your harvest. Like you can worship gods like that, but you're going to these gods that are more or less annoyed with you, trying to appease them in some way in the hopes that maybe they would give you a crop that will give you the good life, the family that will give you the good life, protection from your enemies that will give you the life you long for. And so you're always worshiping in order to get something. And what's beautiful about this passage is we're not worshiping to get anything. We're worshiping a God who has already given us everything by his mercy. So I don't need you to worship me to, for me to love you. I don't need you to do these things for me to forgive you or accept you or reconcile you. I've given you that by my mercy alone, through the sacrifice of Jesus alone. And so this is flipping the whole idea of sacrifice on its head, but it's not just like an ancient practice. It's something that exists all around the world today. We sacrifice our family. We sacrifice our integrity on the altar of career advancement. We sacrifice our health, our ability to rest on the altar of career advancement. We sacrifice our identity uh, and our purity and our integrity uh, on the kind of, in the pursuit of some relationship, trying to be who you think somebody needs you to be in order to be loved by them. And so you compromise who you are. You regret the little words you said. Oh, shoot, I shouldn't have said that. And I, I bet they won't like me anymore. Or you try to kind of like dress yourself up in different ways that maybe I'm lovable to this person. And so you're sacrificing your identity and your joy on this altar. You're sacrificing uh, all of these kind of like beautiful things in the hopes of getting something. And what this is calling us to is actually in view of God's mercy to offer our lives not as a living sacrifice to get something from God, but as an offering to the God who has given us everything we long for. As, as a devoted offering saying, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my lips and let them be like filled with messages for thee. Take my feet and my silver and my gold. It's all yours. My vocation, my mornings, my Sunday afternoon, my hobbies and my recreation and my planning. It's yours, God. It's all yours. How could I live in these ways with gratitude and joy and wisdom and sacrificial love, both for you and for the world around me. And when you actually think about what that might mean about the way you live in your embodied life, it's significant. I think there are things that need to change in our lives if we want to actually live a life of worship. If we want to live a life of worship, the last passage here says, don't be conformed to the world, or in the Greek it's this age. Don't be conformed to the value systems, the practices, the cultural habits, of this age. And in this moment, I think we are in a pivotal moment in human history. There are lots of pivotal moments. I think we're in one. Like tides are shifting, tectonic plates are moving, ideologies are clashing, you feel it all around you. And there's a vulnerability right now. And you can operate in this with divisive things. You can double down into tribalism. You can get angsty at other people who approach some issue differently than you. You can push back from community and get frustrated at different things. And you can operate in this really volatile moment in culture 
in ways that can sweep you away along with the rest of the world in this tide that is pulling people away from the presence of God. And what Paul's saying is, don't go that way. I'm begging you. I'm appealing with you. Don't go that way. Remember God's mercy. Remember his love. Remember his kingdom. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let the word of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ continue to remind you that there is a good life, that you're not crazy for wanting joy. You're not insane for wanting to have a sense of meaning and purpose. You weren't made to feel kind of like this blah existence. You're made to find that with God, living for his kingdom, living for his glory, living this life that he's given you as a human being with joy and gratitude and kindness and love and humility. But it's hard to be crazy by yourself. It's hard to be crazy by yourself. And what I mean by that is if the whole world is running in that direction and you're like, no, I'm going to run and I'm going to do it differently. It's just hard when all of your relationships, when your friendships, when your coworkers and the culture around you and the, and the movies you're watching, the TV shows you're watching are all saying, that's the good life over there. That's the good life. As an isolated individual, it's challenging to kind of go against the tide of culture. It's challenging. But we weren't supposed to do it alone. We're supposed to do it together as a community, as a family of brothers and sisters saying, I want to gather together on a Sunday, and I want to hear you sing about God's love for us in Christ. I want to hear you shout about the resurrection, that the dead in Christ will rise. I want to hear you kind of rejoice in his mercies that are more than our greatest sin. I want to watch you confess your sin and admit your frailty and your humility and your, and your limitations and your weaknesses and return to God. Because when I watch you, I remember I'm not crazy. We're doing this together. We're, we're chasing him together. We're running after him together. And we are made to do it together. Every verb in this passage, everyone is plural. I'm urging you all, brothers and sisters, to remember the mercies of God and to present y'all's body, like all of your bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. I don't want any of you to be conformed to the world. I want all of you to be transformed by the renewing of your all, your minds, so that we could test and discern and demonstrate and actually embody and manifest the design of God, the will of God, the intention for God for humanity, which is good, it's pleasing to him, and it's mature, it's perfect, it's whole. We don't do it perfectly, but the wisdom of God leads us to wholeness and maturity to be exactly who we are designed to be. And so we have to gather. We have to gather. We have to connect throughout the week. We got to talk to each other. We got to remind each other we're doing this together. We're doing this together. And as we pursue him and as we organize our lives around his presence in the day-to-day fabric of life, not only does God get glory from that, from our community, but we find joy as we live into our design. We find meaning. We find purpose. And all of the little things, all the menial things from changing diapers to teaching fifth graders to designing a building to waiting a table to mowing your grass to saying hi to your neighbor, they find meaning. They find purpose because you're being who you were designed to be as a human being in God's image. Let's pray together. Jesus, we right now confess that we need you. The forces at play in our culture are so strong. We love this city. We love the people of this city. 
Uh, we love the gifts that you've given to us in this city and the restaurants and the mountains and the neighborhoods and, and the relationships. We love the things that you've poured out on us. We want to love those things, but we want to love them in the right way. We don't want to ask these things to give us things that you've never designed than to give us. And so wherever we are being conformed to the values of this world, we're, we're being conformed to the practices and the habits where the world goes for rest, where the world goes for growth, where the world goes for meaning, where the world goes for significance and acceptance and security. Wherever we're being conformed to the world, would you reveal that to us even right now? Would you reveal to us right now the ways that we've bought in to the narrative of the world? And would you renew our minds? Would you transform our hearts? Would you reorient our lives and give us wisdom to see your love, to return to you, to experience your mercy, and to learn, little by little, to learn what it means to walk with you, what it means to wake up with you, what it means to go to work with you, what it means to love our neighbors with you, what it means to be married with you at the center of the marriage, what it means to be a parent with you at the center of our family, what it means to be a roommate with you at the center of our relationship with our roommates around us, what it means to go to school with you as the king and the creator, what it means to live in this life according to the way you've made us. I pray that you'd help us. We as a community want to offer our bodies, our life as a church, as living sacrifices, devoted to you, hungry for you, praising you, rejoicing in your mercy, stunned by your grace, in awe of what Christ has done through his death and resurrection, enjoying your kingdom, living according to the upside-down values of your kingdom, which are so contrary to the course of this world. But we need you. Our hearts are fickle. My heart is so frail. And so would you continue by your mercy to renew our minds and help us live in a way that's living into your will. It's good. It's pleasing to you. It's perfect. It's whole. And would you help us to do it for your glory and for the joy that you alone can give us. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media. Find us with at Park Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at parkchurch.org. Peace and love.